You are listening to Behind the Horse's Eyes on the Illiterate Podcast Network. Welcome back to another episode of Behind the Horse's Eyes. Listen, so there's a few spots in this episode where the audio kind of gets a little wonky, but it usually only lasts a few seconds and then it immediately goes away. So don't fret when it comes up. You might not have to fast forward unless it's just really, really annoying to you. Other than that, it's going to be fine. I promise. Number two. We are looking for a cornerstone sponsor here for the show. So if you make a product or you have a business uh, in the equestrian space or not, and would like to get the word out there, our email is in the notes to this episode and reach out to us. We would love to talk to you because right now we are kind of running on a shoestring budget, which we're going to get a whole lot better about getting episodes out. It's been busy here lately for, for Jade and I with between horses and horse shows and everything else under the sun, but I, we're going to get a whole lot better. We're, we're going to actually sit down and do a recording schedule. Ain't that a, a, a thing, us scheduling things, but it's going to happen. And three, this episode is kind of unique because we get to sit down with one of our really good friends, and that's Zachariah Dickerson, and we go all over the place. We are literally all over the map. What initially started out as an episode that was going to be about the history of cowboys and buckaroos and the history of riding and, and all sorts of stuff like that really just turned into uh, a BS sesh with, with three guys with very similar interests. We even touch on a, a little politics toward the end softly not we, we don't go down any political rabbit holes or anything but we talk about our favorite kinds of horses and the stuff that we like in movies and music and culture and you name it uh, we touch on a little bit of everything which if you're a frequent listener to the show then you're probably already used to that because we don't do anything normal around here we don't do normal question and answer type interviews we like to sit down like three friends, have a conversation over a couple of beers, and see where the conversation goes. And for us, that's how we are more comfortable, and usually our guests end up being more comfortable, and they open up too, instead of something very stringent, very rigid, with predetermined questions and answers. I, I hate that. So again, if you have a business or you make a product in the equestrian space or not, and would like to get the word out there, reach out to Jade and I at the email in the description of the episode. And yeah, let's see if we can't make something happen. We would love to have you on and love to help get the word out. But without any further ado, here is Jade, myself, and Zachariah. Head down to the corner store to pick up some Coors or something and pass New England. <laughs> like, it's just, there's a whole list of things, like, I'll work, places I want to go and things I want to... New England is just not there. It's not even hit. Like, I would love charge. to go to Vermont. I would love to go to Vermont because I, I want to do Morgan horse stuff, and it would be awesome. Well, that's where there. Bernie Sanders is from, so, I mean, oh, you're good God. there. Yeah. Thrilling. 
No, I'm once again asking you for your financial contribution. <laughs> Pissing somebody oh, I mean... collar off. <laughs> I think we're pretty much at that point now, really. Dabby yeah, did it. Listen. Unfortunately. The, uh. So, if you don't recognize that voice, that is Zachariah Dickerson. How's it going, you guys? What is, what's your handle on TikTok? So. Oh, Buckaroo Logic. Buckaroo Logic, that's it. That's the guy that's always popping up on my feed with, and another cowboy controversy. And then I'm like glued in and I'm like, what's he talking about today? Yep, that and a bunch of just nonsense too. That Post what I want, when I want. If anybody follows me, it is 100% nonsense all the time. But at least I am not... I don't know. For sake of argument, I'm just making this up. I don't know. Real estate agent in Florida or something thinking they're an expert in thoroughbred breeding. I mean, not that that would ever happen. That's not real. I mean, you know, it's not that bad or anything. So you're not, so you're saying you're not like, uh, most people from Ocala, Florida, where they just think they know every last thing about a horse? Yeah, like somebody like in Ocala that, I don't know, let's just say for sake of argument, maybe they own, I don't know, some quarter horses or something. And then I just, we're a mediocre real estate agent. This is hypothetical. And then all of a sudden just became a expert on uh, the retired racehorse project. But they just called it the uh, racehorse retraining program. <laughs> but they're an expert. And, and called someone, hold on, called someone who has, again, this is hypothetical. I'm not saying any of this ever happened, but then had. The, if the it co- did, the, yeah, if it would it go did, like this. They had the cojones to call a major, well, not really a major breeder, but uh, a, a, a substantial noteworthy. Breeder, a noteworthy breeder and a family of noteworthy breeders who owns several horses, one of which was a Kentucky Derby runner-up who won nearly a million dollars in his career, and his progeny is worth about $7.7 million right now, and then had the audacity to ask is that your best horse? I mean, but that wouldn't happen. Right, it's the internet. If but, it were, yeah. Well, you guys, it sounds like uh, Ryan's open for business. So if you want a $7.7 million horse, he's the guy to go to from Ocala, Florida. No. Hit him no, up no, right no, now. No, 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 no. Actually, actually <laughs> hypothetically, for the sake of <laughs> argument, this person's name was Ryan, but it wasn't Ocala. It was Indiana that the horse was at, but they were being attacked by a real estate agent in Florida. So you have to tell me, how exactly were you getting attacked by a real estate agent in Florida? I, I want to know the details, what they do. They called they called. If them, it's all hypothetical anyway. Yeah, so. hypothetically, they called them a backyard breeder. Ah, uh, well... I mean, do you, do you make seven point? I mean, do you have children worth seven point seven million dollars, or have earned seven point seven million dollars back already? No. I mean, I can, I'm pretty sure I know a lot of people that have spent seven point seven million dollars on children over time. <laughs> this is this is true too. And while we're on the subject of resources, real quick, um, it just popped up for me. Um, everybody knows I'm I got a a group going, a really good friends that we're all resource folks. And uh, from the bottom of our heart, um, our thoughts go out to the connections that go Rocket Ride. 
um, who was euthanized yesterday after um, a workout at uh, Santa Anita for the Breeders' Cup. Um, so uh, Mike Smith was a jockey. Notice was off, pulled the horse up um, with a uh, with a fracture. Surgery happened yesterday, and then they decided after surgery that they were not going to prolong. So it's so, trained by Mandela, jockeyed by Mike Smith. So horse won the Haskell. Um, awesome horse. Definitely a contender. Um, so, but our hearts go out to um, everyone involved in that camp. All the connections would go rocket ride. Yep. So, Zach Ariah. Yeah. Can I call you Zach or do I have to call you Zach Ariah? Call me Zach. Okay. Zach, Zach is fine. Zach is fine. With two C's. Zach with two, two C's. C's. Yep. Right. No H, no K. I'm going to call him and No C-C H at the end the of the name. name. The new nickname. I like my double C's. Uh oh, this this sounds like an innuendo. (laughs) Maybe it is one. (laughs) So, but anyway, so we, you know, we we all talk shenanigans on our social media. We all have followers for different reasons. But you do a lot of history, and I do a lot of history. But a lot of your history is more generalized history, and it's stuff that I'll be honest with you, I don't touch anymore because I just direct people in your direction. Um. Because you do a lot of lifestyle history. Um, yes. And then, you know, um, general knowledge stuff uh, when it comes to the history of the cowboy, the buckaroo, all of that stuff, which is absolutely fascinating. Um, so what gave you the idea to kind of want to get, get going and go that direction? Well, so, you know, I grew up with uh, American paint horses, and actually we showed halter classes as well as Western Pleasure. And so I got out of the showmanship circuit a long time ago and started doing a bunch of mule packing, outfitting type stuff. Yeah. In high school, wasn't huge with history, but I absolutely loved the Western lifestyle. I wanted to learn everything I possibly could with it. So as high school progressed, I started getting more and more into it, started doing a lot more research based based around the history of uh, the cowboy and the lifestyle of the cowboy because, you know, it's what I inspire to be. I'll never never be one, but it is something I inspire or that inspires have me. You, have you ever so, noticed that the the folks that are so quick to jump up and call themselves cowboy are usually nine times out of ten the, the least cowboy you've ever met? And I hate to say this, you know, but – I lived in the South a little bit. I was in Tennessee for about six months, and mm-hmm. I think I saw more men in cowboy hats than I've ever seen in Texas. So honestly, I made a I made a I made a funny video one time in Sevierville of all places, and that's where I was working. Oh, was yeah. in Sevierville, <laughs> Tennessee. Yeah, it's, it's, yep. it's always Sevierville. And, you probably made the video of me, actually. No, 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 because if I saw you, you would be legit. It was just a bunch of people in, like, it, it seriously reminded me of, like, I don't know, uh, Nashville, but with more bed bugs. Like, you uh, <laughs> it, know, uh, it's just, but it was, like, uh, it was just, uh, like, and wear what you want to wear, be what you want to be. I'm not a gatekeeper in, 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 in this world. But man, it just struck me as odd the amount of guys that I saw. Uh, Yellowstone was at its peak, you know. Oh yeah, uh, walking around yeah. with like skinny jeans, you know, uh, like Toby Keith straws, you know, uh, a belt buckle that that I don't, just said Justin or something on it, you know, and girls walking around going, "My cowboy," and I'm like, "What?" 
Well, it's funny that you actually say that because uh, in Tennessee, you know, there's a lot of equestrians. There's a lot of guys mm-hmm. that actually practice um, the Western lifestyle in Tennessee. However, kind of like California, Tennessee is one of those places where you now have Nashville country. Just because oh, yeah. you're in Nashville, they sing, you know, country music. You think you're instantly involved with the cowboy lifestyle. You know, cowboy lifestyle doesn't even include Nashville, doesn't include that kind of country music. No. It's not even really, um, it's not even really, uh, like the old Western type songs. I mean, there is actually a genre called cowboy genre. And it ranges from New Mexico to California up to Montana, pretty much. But, it encompasses um, but when it comes everything. to Tennessee, yeah, when it comes to Tennessee, though, it's more or less just this idea of, ooh, we're going to go listen to country music. That We're at a place where it's known for country music, producing these artists. So let's get a little piece of the fashion that they are sharing with us. Take part of it. And you're right, around the time that Yellowstone was first coming out, I think that was, what, 2020, right? Yeah. Or was it 2019? This was, yeah. this was uh, I want to say, right before COVID. Right before COVID? Yeah, see, so when I was in Tennessee, it was about 2021. Um, I want to say August until oh, probably December, roughly around there, because I ended up going up to New Hampshire and slave drove for the the winter season up there but when i was there you know i can definitely tell you there are legit people but a lot of the ones it's just yeah let's go on a go on a horse tour and dress up and play cowboy for the day you know that's um, really what it comes down to funny that that brings up kind of a funny story too uh and then i promise folks we're going to talk about history but and jade i don't know if you've ever met one of these guys before i was we were out, so we were doing, I think it was a Christmas parade. It was me and some friends. We had our horses out doing the Christmas parade because, I mean, what we do. And we're having a good time. And I was on a, a borrowed mare. And the mare was, she had never done a parade before. And I rode her about halfway through it and decided about halfway through it that the best action for me before I end up with a lawsuit is to just take this mare in hand. And finish the parade that way because she was just going to murder some children. And so I was like, this is 10 points. Yeah. So I get, so I get down and walk and, and we get to the end of the the parade and we're going to make the loop back. And I've got this mare in hand and some dude comes walking up and I, apparently some friends of mine knew him and I I didn't know him. Uh, And he goes, you should have just rode that out of that mare. And I'm like, it's just too many people around crowding. I'm not, I'm not going to take that risk. You know, if we were in the arena, it'd be a different story, but we're not. And I'm like, are you a trainer? I said, you know, cause the guy just come off. It's all arrogant. And then one of the gals that was with us, he goes, no, he rode a dude horse once. <laughs> and I'm like, makes sense. So, so it's funny because, uh, this place that I was working at in Tennessee, you know, it had kind of a mixture, a hosh pot of different kinds of people. Where there's one guy from the islands, um, uh, like Cuba or somewhere down there, right? And I won't name his name, but in the middle of a ride, so I'm hired on as the manager. You know, I'm dealing with like 107 head of horses, a certain amount of acreage, all this stuff. And so I'm trying to get to know my employees and get to know 
uh, the different horses and see how they handle these rides. Well, as I was tailgating one of the rides, this guy just decides to hop off his dude horse and start walking. And the dude horse is just falling right along him. And he has like 10 guests behind. I'm like, what the literal hell are you doing? Get back on your horse. Listen. <laughs> but I mean, it's, it's some of the stuff that you see whenever you're in yeah. the guest industry. And especially if you're a newcomer coming into that guest industry. I mean, I can tell you the very first time that I sat on the back of a guest horse, you know, I thought I was top shit. I won't lie to you. Coming from Western Pleasure, doing all this stuff. Well, I was working up in the High Sierras. And uh, I had already taken out a couple of rides. Well, there's this big old appy mare named Gilly. You know, I'm a short guy. And all the guys thought it has always been on the bigger side, too. And these guys thought it would be hilarious. I bet he's a not short as short guy as I get am. on the back. Uh, I'm 5'6". He's got me by an inch. 5'6", <laughs> 5'7", is really where I range between. So we're about the Depending same. Depending on whether his back's straight or not. Listen, what do you think? I walk. <laughs> ding, what do you ding, think? I, I always wear like tall riding heels everywhere. Like I don't have a roper heel on anything. Like everything I ride is like a tall riding heel. Oh, well, I say you Jade's like to I don't ride know, in a little Fiat. You got what, one of them little slug bugs with your with your deep heels. Listen, listen. <laughs> I travel in a in a Hyundai that gets forty miles to the gallon. <laughs> I have a super nice oh. F one fifty and a and a and an F two fifty that does all my hauling, but if I'm traveling for like horse related or social media related stuff, I'm pulling up in a Hyundai Elantra and y'all can laugh later because I'm getting forty miles to the gallon, folks. <laughs> uh, honestly, can't blame you there. I mean the truck that I drive is a uh, a two thousand seven Ford F one fifty. I mean it's gotten me We're to and from. I mean I <laughs> I have driven that thing literally wait, from wait, what color Iowa is yours? to California. Gray. Mine's mine's gunmetal blue. Okay. Yeah, no, this truck's, I mean, I never thought I'd like a Ford. You know, I've always been a Dodge fan. First truck I ever owned was a Dodge. But, um, no, so, I mean, literally that truck, the, the Ford has taken me from Iowa to California to Tennessee, New Hampshire, back to California, with seeing states in between. Even up into Canada, really, did a hauling what? job hauling pigs up there to Quebec. What, what year model did you say that was? 2007 and i swear by it oh that that was when they were still good truck see here's the thing and i was talking to somebody about it the day before yesterday you know those trucks up through 2005 six seven you know especially you you start talking the diesels those trucks are still the ones that'll get 250 300 miles i had a friend that had a late what brand are we talking i'm I'm talking talking any of them we're talking Ford. If it's after two thousand three and a half, I don't think I want it. I don't know. Ford's I swear a, by my two thousand seven. No, I'm talking diesel. No, this is a gas. Okay, yeah, I know this is gas. It's a gas truck. Yeah, I don't. I don't want to. I don't want a six zero or six four. And I'm kind of questionable on six seven. I got an old seven three, and that thing, it's never going to win a race, but it will pull hell off its hinges. <laughs> <laughs> got to respect that. Yeah, absolutely do. I'll tell you, whenever I was working up in Washington before this uh, horse accident happened, you know, up there he had like five different vehicles. He had two Dodges, a 2015 and a 2017, both manuals. He had a 1999 Ford F-150 gas guzzler, 
And then he had a, uh, I think it was about 2007 to 2010 Chevy uh, Silverado. And surprisingly, out of all the trucks, there was two that I really liked. One was that, that Ford, the 1999 Ford. Man, you can shift the clutch like no man's business. I mean, it was a dream. Although it was kind of sketchy going up some narrow roads. I won't lie to you. But <laughs> that thing, that thing had some, some power to it. So one of the Call things me. I oh, go ahead. Oh no, you're good. Uh, I was gonna say one of the things I want to talk to you about, and Jade's probably gonna grin really big when I say this, is, and I've spoke about it ad nauseum, and Jade and I have, uh, we've kind of talked about it in private and stuff. Would you say that the the majority of like mainstream Western culture is based on, uh? film depiction and not reality yes actually i would so i do not have it i this is just for clear you know clarification for people so they know a little bit of my background i do not have a degree in history i just enjoy history and to answer a question from before it was from going to new england that really inspired you know a lot of traveling the u.s has inspired united states history culture for me uh western culture especially but going to New England and seeing how they actually have records of all of their historical events, you know, then you go out west where everything's just about covered. And so it was about the 1900s, uh, late 1800s, 1900s, whenever there was this push for um, basically Western films. And so it was the Western film that has inspired a lot of the stuff that we have, you know, the Vaquero inspired different saddles. We had spurs, rowels, um, riatas, hackamores, all these things specifically out of California culture, but California really twisted it with Hollywood and going in, you know, everyone's heard of the Duke. Everyone's heard of Clint Eastwood. You know, spaghetti westerns, all these different films is what has really changed the western industry when it comes to the fashion, when it comes to the way that someone's thinking about sitting a horse. Um, some of those those movies, you know, they didn't have green screens back then, so they actually had to know what it was that they were doing. And I think that's what relates with the general public about Yellowstone is the fact that it's not a lot of green screen. These actors had to actually go through a cowboy camp like they did, you know, when doing Lonesome Dove. So hopefully that touched your, your question just a little yeah, bit. Yeah, no, but it's like – like, Sorry, he said Lonesome Dove. Oh. It just, it got you all excited. You heard Lonesome Dove. Well, I just got to take my hat off to it. Well, I get I get I get excited when I hear Lonesome Dove too. It's okay. No, but no, it's just even you know like you're touching about fashion stuff like the the idea mm -hmm. of the Roach Killer like that's a that's a strictly fashion thing that came out of the 30s and 40s. You know, if you really look at boots that in the from the 18 I don't know I'd say the 1850s. Until about the 1890s, like most of them are blunt round toe, snip toe, or not really yes a square no. toe like we have today. Well, you can say yes or no, but I can show you brogans and cavalry boots that are square toe double stitch, and they're from the 1860s. Exactly. And, and that's where I was going to get at. I was going to say yes and no, because square toes were around, but they there wasn't that popular push at the time. You know, people were still wearing round toes. 
and a lot of it had to do with the English but, culture. Well, yeah, but it's not a yeah, it's a round toe based off the Wellington. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, not like the usually like when a lot of people think round toe, they think traditional cowboy boot. When I think traditional cowboy boot, I think or what they're referring to is what you and I would call a roach killer, that real pointy toe, a snip and, toe, right? No, well, no, it's just a. Like the bottom of an or the top of an egg. Oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, okay. like everybody goes, I, I know, know what you're talking about. These are real cowboy boots, and I'm like, eh, eh, eh. It's, they're good to catch a stirrup, but eh. You know, I mean, come on. I will say, you know, for a very long time, I was actually I owned a pair of them roach killers, as you call it, and. I never really wanted to wear anything else. I mean, it's not that they were necessarily comfortable, but whenever I had to dismount from a horse, those things th- came in handy. But that was really the only time that I would really wear them yeah, was the most when riding. Ha- yeah, the most handy thing I can find for them, for one, I just they look goofy to me. Like, yeah, that's just do. me. Um, but, like, uh, it's also great when you mount and you you don't really have to hunt for that offside stirrup. It, it just That toe just finds it. Yep, compared you know? to a, a square toe where you're really having to like. Well, unless where are you're you? me, <laughs> unless you're me and you wear a six and a half wide and it just glides right on in there. <laughs> well, I mean that's where we get them bell stirrups for. But but I always tell people too, and I'm like, if you got that big of a problem hunting, finding your stirrup, you need bigger stirrups. Yeah, because most people sometimes, ride in a stirrup. Sometimes size isn't the issue. No, but you've got a lot of folks out there, though, that didn't realize stirrups come in sizes. Or get those fenders turned. Yeah. Well, there's actually something called a twist where you can put it on your saddle. or It goes right on the fender, and it connects that, almost connects that concho that wraps around to hold your stirrup on. And so the purpose of this twist is to be able to go in and actually move it so that way rather, since your stirrups normally sit flat, this makes them sit at an angle, kind of angled in where the toe is naturally pointed out. Yeah. You, in, um, and, in barrel racing, they call them stirrup turners, and, man, they've been using them for years because people lose stirrups all the time, especially folks at Starfish, not that I approve of Hanging on that. by the wood. Yeah, and, you know, stirrup turners have, have always been a thing. Um, and they're handy. Like, I'm, I've never owned any. Like, I've just – I've always, like – my crap's so broken and worn out, my stirrups just turn out anyway. I mean, you know, it's yeah. just, my, 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 my shit's every, listen, when I buy a saddle, it's probably already on its last leg and I'm going to get a couple more <laughs> legs out of it. Hey, use it until it breaks and if it that's, breaks, just fix it. Yeah, that's, that's it's me. cheaper that way. If, if I can't fix it, I know somebody who can and then every time I walk exactly. in with something. Every time I walk in with something, they just look at me and shake their head. The hell did you bring me this time? <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. But even well, you guys don't let Ryan near your tack. He's good at breaking it. I, I no, I take that back. Usually, I buy it broken. Like I usually, I buy it broken. Like I, I owned a Wade one it's time okay. for a week. Like I wanted a Wade forever, and I bought a Wade. Oh, I swear broke. by the Wades. It had a Wades broken. and slick forks. Yeah, well, I have a I have a slick fork now, but so comfy. I had a Wade, and for a week I bought it at an auction. I get it home and realize the trees broke, and I'm like, <laughs> son of a bitch. So I take it to my guy, and I walk in, and he goes, "No, 
And I was like, can we fix it? And he goes, no. I said, is it that bad? And he goes, he said, I'm not taking, for one, if I take it apart, I, I doubt it's going to live through being taken apart. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, if you bought it with the tree already broke, yeah, you're kind of screwed. <laughs> yeah, he's like, so it's not, he said, it's not, not really worth fixing it. So uh, I had a good buddy of mine that was opening a bar at the time, and I was like, aren't you looking for saddles for, like, bar stools? And he goes, yeah. And so I paid 75 bucks for this Wade. The no name, you could barely make out the tag, and it just said made by, and it was probably some maker in the 70s or something. And you know, so the got, one thing, go ahead, sorry. No, anyway, but ended up selling it to my friend for 100 bucks, so it was not a loss. <laughs> well, how much did and you a, pay for it originally, if you don't mind me asking? 75, but that should have been the first <laughs> inclination something was wrong. Okay, so it didn't have to. Okay, seventy five dollars at an auction. You tried to get the saddle fixed. It was refused. You were refused, refused treatment on the saddle, but yet you knew it had a broken tree, and you sold it for twenty five dollars more. Yes, you bought it. It is still a bar store to this day. That's called being an entrepreneur. <laughs> this thing is still sitting in this bar today as a bar store. <laughs> well, I mean. I won't sit on that bar stool because I know at any time it just fold up and just and, and take the boys out with it. But you know, oh, that, that's funny. That's actually potential really funny. pinch bar store not. <laughs> I, speaking of profit off of that, and speaking of, and I didn't, you know, I should have asked her what, who that saddle was, but I got an opportunity here recently to ride in. Uh, Gabby Goldenberger's Western Saddle, which throws me for a loop knowing what I know about her. And then Western Saddle, just they don't click. But she has got this beautiful, beautiful Western Saddle. A little big for me for what I'm used to because I'm a rocket donkey guy or was a rocket donkey guy. So our saddles are usually smaller than what most people ride in. Like a normal me would ride in a 15 or 16 inch saddle. And I rode in a 14 and a half inch barrel saddle. Oh yeah, baby. <laughs> oh God, put me in. I there. think my ass is too fat for that. Yeah. Mine <laughs> probably was too, but I was not coming out. You had, to, no, you, had, I, you had to wedge me in the bear trap. And you had to wedge me out. Well, I mean, at least you jack. weren't riding the mountains or something where uh, needed you could a, get hung up on a tree. You, I needed a shoehorn, but for saddles. <laughs> you know the uh but but anyway back to what we were talking about like even even like um historical figures you know that and, and like you were saying in the early 1900s there was so much going on, on the east coast with the dime novel the dime novel in some ways was the best and the worst thing in my opinion that could have happened yeah um to that era the cowboy era and i don't know let's say what, uh, late 1860s to mid-1890s, roughly? For the cowboy era. The cowboy era, if I'm not mistaken, actually started about, like, 1820s, um, somewhere around there, because um, it had to do with the expansion going west. Yeah, and that's what I was saying, is, like, the, the peak of western expansion is usually what you hear about. 
But it's interesting because, you know, even when it comes to the cowboy era and the history, it was so, so short lived. But yeah, at least in America, it was so short lived. But then you have the culture that's been going on for oh, yeah. well before the West well, was even one down in Mexico. Well, the culture before I mean, it and the culture after it, because you had guys oh, yeah. doing the same stuff all the way up until the 19th, oh, even through the Depression. It really didn't. Oh, more than. Actually, it's still happening. Well, yeah. Really. I mean, there's still that lifestyle. Well, there's still bedroll cowboys floating around out there. They're a dying breed, but there's still a handful of bedroll cowboys floating around. Well, it's interesting, too, you know, because coming from California, a lot of people are like, oh, you must know every celebrity. I've been to San Francisco, and it's like, well, that's not the California where I'm from. Where I'm from, we still actually have a cattle drive that happens twice a year. Yeah. And... I mean, it, it's a, it's kind of a bigger deal. And so we push, you know, uh, one of the ranches nearby pushes cows up the mountain for the summer and down the mountain for the winter pasture. And I mean, it's just the cowboy culture is still there. Even if you go to like San Jose, mm-hmm. you know, on the outskirts of San Jose, and I didn't realize this until spending some time there, you still have a lot of ranches, big, massive ranches in the Diablo mountain range that separates central California from the Bay Area. I mean, we're talking like several thousand acre cattle ranches. A good buddy of mine, he's down uh, towards Hollister. He alone actually has, you know, like close to 5,000 acres still of just cattle land. And every ranch around him, I mean, he lives a good hour outside of a city. And every ranch around him has close to the same amount of acreage. So, I mean, it's still there. Um but as far as the history aspect goes, you know, we really owe it all to the Spaniards and not just the Spaniards, but the natives, you know. Um, but it's interesting, too, because when you think of California or not California, cowboy culture instantly, you know, you think of America, you think of uh, Wyoming, Montana or Texas. Texas is a big one. But kind of the start of all cowboy culture in well, the United I was, States I was just about to was Florida. Say, well, I was just about to say, you know, I dropped Augustine. Not long ago. I went to St. Augustine and and filmed a bunch there. And it, I think it's, there's so many people out there and they think horses in America, the first thing that comes up is westward expansion, the Wild West. They think Mustangs mm-hmm. and they think this. And the what they don't understand, me and Jade fully understand, being Marsh Tacky guys, is that the history of the horse in the United States starts in St. Augustine, Florida. Yes. Actually, it starts even before then, but St. Augustine was the biggest, really, port for horses coming to America. Mm -hmm. That's for sure. Well, that's like even during, you know, westward expansion, the the horses that people were buying in droves were like dual-purpose horses. You know, horses so, that they could they could plow during the week and ride to town to go get whatever they needed on the weekend, or could pull a wagon or pull a cart. And that's what that's actually what's really interesting because you know a lot of a lot of Western people don't like having me included. You know, I, I grew up where uh, you don't have a multidisciplined horse. If it's Western, it's Western. Maybe that horse does trail rides, but maybe you're taking it to a show. But, I mean, it's not like I'm going to go and take that horse to pack a mule or go and, you know, drive a wagon. When back in the Western days, I mean, they had to do it all. Oh, yeah. It didn't matter. Well, that's, if it was a good horse, had yeah. a good build, then, I mean, you might see that horse drive your local fire truck to go put out a fire. 
but then at the same day, that horse might go and actually pack gear, you know, that's not on a wagon, but actually has a pack yeah. saddle sitting on its back, taking stuff to go put out that fire, too. So, I mean, they definitely yeah, have multiple. A good example of that is the, is the Marsh Tacky. They were, they were small little Spanish horses that came in. Most of them were, were most of them, it, it, quite honestly, were trained by indigenous tribes in Florida. Uh, they would come up on pack trains to the Carolinas and then just be left because they didn't want to take them back. You know, and actually it's unfortunate because that's really how we got a lot of the Mustangs. And I saw that you uh, you did some recordings before with uh, the Rare Buckaroo. I mean, yeah. man, Sarah she Jean, is a hand. Sarah Jean Waddell. Sarah's, I love me some Sarah Waddell. Oh, and her knowledge based on the Mustang, if you guys haven't gone to listen to her stuff or see her videos, I recommend doing it. Because she'll educate you real quick about the Mustangs. She's going to hit you with a dose of reality. Yeah, I don't think I've had her on since since Jade's been co-hosting. Because I've had her on like several times before. And my favorite episode is I had her and Aaron O'Neill, Feral Aaron, on at the same time in one episode. And like, and I titled the episode... um, I forget what I named it, but it was like something like super like I'm creating controversy. But the reality is, is them two are like literally on the same page. There's different ends of the spectrum. And that episode. Oh, there always is. Yeah, that episode just like blew people's minds. I mean, there really is different ends on the spectrum, you know? I mean, just equitation's equitation across the board. However,. Again, there's different ends of the spectrum, Listen, you know. I'm a Western guy that likes sport horses. And I'm a Western guy that's dating a hunter jumper and has been for three years. So mm. I mean I get it. I like yeah. I like thoroughbreds, I like standard breads, I like every flavor of warm blood under the sun, especially Cleveland Bays and Dutches and Holsteiners. Um I like, I just like horses. Well, that's me. I, really that's me, like and donkeys El, now. El, uh, what's his name? El Don Senor. Don Senor, yeah. This is, it's my new what's boy. What's Don Senor? His new donkey. It's my new donkey. My man bought a donkey. Oh, that's, oh, that's the name of your don- new donkey. <laughs> See, I, feel, I, feel, I feel so bad. Like my donkey. My donkey. He's he's. We just call him. His name is Leroy, but I church it up. And we call him Leroy. Yeah, my favorite donkey is uh, one called White River, and actually, I just met it up in Washington State. It was a cool it, donkey. It sounds it like, old donkey. This, it was a cool donkey. This sounds like a BLM donk. I actually don't know where he got a lot of his donkeys. I just know he had like twenty something head, and he does donkey basketball with them. Oh, that's pretty. Literally good. goes up. Yeah, goes up and down the West Coast as well as the entire West of the United States. I think as far as like Ohio is what they'll go, and just I've seen videos literally of do that. rodeos. <laughs> they'll they'll do uh, rodeos and different runs with these guys that like to just sit on the back of a donkey. They have no idea what they're doing, or maybe they do, but they play basketball and just have a grand old time. I found my new sport. Huh. I know. I was I was really looking forward to actually being a coach for that, but unfortunately, with my circumstances, it's I want I I want to participate in donk ball. <laughs> oh, that would be so. That would that be a blast. Let's just let's just all get together with our donkeys. And we'll do it. Well, I don't own a donkey, so 
we'll, we'll get, get you hey, one. You know what? We'll get we got you a, one. We got a good friend, White Humphreys. It's Quarter H Ranch in Tennessee, near not too far from Sevierville. And uh, he's got a BLM donk. She'll be perfect for you because, you know what? No other donk's going to go near her because she's just going to pin her ears the entire time and try to eat everything there. Well, it's okay. I handle a lot of mules and a lot of other types of asses, so I think I'm, I'm good. Oh, man. <laughs> Touche, my guy. <laughs> just saying. So, so in, in a way, to get us back it's on track. Like it's such a little uh, man. <laughs> Zach, I, I've seen, I've seen a lot of your videos, but my favorite one that you have done, you have done in the last couple of weeks about the bowler hat. Oh yeah, the derby. Yeah. Okay. Yep, the derby. Because hat. a you lot of people see- don't equate that. No. Well, and Zach, you're fixing to go off on this, and I was just about, I'm going to say something. And that is, you still see a lot of rodeo cowboys that still sport one for mm-hmm. a particular reason, and Zach's going to fill us in for that particular reason. Well, actually, I was just going to say it's kind of funny, because the first time I ever saw a bowler hat wasn't in a movie. I mean, maybe I did in a movie, but it was at, I was actually packing mules up in the high Sierra, and there was two styles. You have the flat-brim buckaroo style hat, which is what I like to wear with the telescope crown, and the bowler style. And so that bowler style, I mean, I just thought it was the coolest thing ever. Here, here this guy is a ginger like myself, kind of taller, you know, but he's wearing this very short brimmed hat that's, uh, it, like caves in a certain, I, oh, it was just, it was kind of a cool thing to see. <laughs> it was a really cool thing to see. But when it comes to the different hats within history, you know, it's, it's interesting because hats have always been a part of, a a part of life i mean social classes it didn't matter what financial uh financial stage you're in you know of course if you had more money you're going to decorate your hat more and the bowler hat was one that was found more along the gentleman but what's interesting too and which i mentioned this in my video is that people of that time were wearing top hats you know but this guy, he was coming out with this idea of my hat's getting knocked off too many times by the branches. So I want something that's not going to just get destroyed when it hits the ground. And so he goes, um, he ends up going to, oh, I'm trying to think of the name, not Marks and Sons. It's a company, a hat company. They're still around, actually. And... um it's cool because when you go on this company's website, let me get the let me get the company name. But when you go on this All company's right. website, I mean, a lot of these major um, like expensive chains, Gucci, Parada, they actually all have like their own design of bowler hat from this company. On one of their anniversaries, they had these people, Jimmy Choo, for you know, come down and design a bowler hat, their own style bowler hat. And so it's really neat to see where the bowler hat is because you can relate it to horses or you can relate it to your everyday gentleman that just is carrying a briefcase. Or you maybe you just like the style of the hat and, you know, you just decide to wear it. But let me get the name of this company for you. Um, give me a second here. Jay, do you like to read? Man, I love to read. 
where do you have time to read? I do not. That's a problem. Have you ever heard of Audible? I have not. Audible, absolutely phenomenal. Let me tell you about Audible. Audible has all the New York Times bestsellers, the classics. They have hundreds of thousands of books all on audio. I listen to Audible when I'm in the barn, when I'm on horseback, even when I'm at work. And they have a special treat for our listeners. If you head on over to audibletrial.com forward slash J Ryan, you're going to get a free audiobook on us. We're going to give them a free audiobook. And even if they cancel their subscription before they get charged, they're still going to be able to keep that audiobook. But if you keep that subscription, you're going to earn points every month. And it's enough points every month for you to get a free book. Listen, I haven't bought a book from Audible in forever because I just turn in my points every month and get another book to listen to. How does that sound, Jane? Sounds pretty good. I'm going to have to give it a try. Give it a try. Head on over to audibletrial.com forward slash J Ryan and claim your free audio book today. You have nothing to lose. And if you cancel that subscription, again, you get to keep the free book. If you didn't know it, Jade and I have a Patreon, and you can find it by heading on over to www.patreon.com forward slash J Ryan Chastain. There's going to be a link to it down into the show notes, and it's one of the easiest ways that you can support the show. We're going to start doing a whole lot more there. We're going to realign all the membership tiers and everything. There's going to be some new offers there. And we're going to kick back up the super secret podcast that we were doing in the past. Again, we're wanting to do a whole lot more for our patrons, and we're trying to bring in new patrons because, like any show, we do need your support to keep this wagon rolling downhill. So if you like the show and you want to help out, also get some exclusive content. Again, head on over to patreon.com forward slash Chastain and sign up for one of the tiers today. I love those old tried and true brands that have been around for better than a century. Oh, it, absolutely. But what's interesting too about these different hats is, you know, like the pirate hat, for example. I never really thought about that hat coming from the time of like the musketeers or, uh, even before that, you know, the time of, um, Oh, hold on. I have the name of the hat right now. I'll tell you what it is. Lock and Co. The name of the company I'm thinking of is Lock and Co. for the bowler hat. That's what okay. it is. But no, like the, the cockered hat or the tri-corner hat, you know, it didn't even get the name tri-corner until the 1900s. Um, it was directly after the Western. But this is a hat that you would see rain all throughout history. Literally, pioneers, uh, privateers, musketeers, governments. Um, but the whole purpose of that hat, the cocker hat, was for rainfall. And I mean, these these different style of hats inspired basically the cowboy hat. I mean, if someone didn't come up with a shape to be able to channel water in one direction, think about that twist that comes up, the brim that just comes up, creating your cattle like your your wide brim kind of cattleman shape, right? Well, they do that to also channel water. So I mean, just Different things that have worked over time have really uh, 
progress through history but into more of a general style but it's still the same usage still the same concept that's what i was looking for so the well, reason and- i stepped away was i i own a bowler and i was going to find my bowler and it's not where i left my bowler and i think one of my kids has my bowler somewhere. <laughs> um when, when you know whenever you're talking especially when you're talking about the you know what's now known as as the tricorn you know yep. and that that spanned such a huge period of time one of my favorite one of my favorite movies is uh the most recent uh version of the alamo with billy bob Thornton. okay and and the reason that i like that movie so well yeah they took a lot of liberties with the the events but they took a lot of liberties with they <laughs> but their their clothing and the way they outfitted those men was probably one of the most accurate depictions of a time frame oh, you can, ever. You will make or break a, movie, a historical movie with bad, with a bad costume. Yeah, with a bad costuming department. There, there were well, there were there were same top with hats. Absolutely. Listen, listen. You can. Uh, and like so, this is this is my area of expertise. <laughs> is reenactment? Oh God, yes. But listen, what do you what do you think I went to college for history? Um, because I was one of those kids as a teenager. But the the crazy thing is, is there's like so many different like cliques within that that hobby. That uh, so you have you have bargain basement. Which are people that will do anything just to get involved. Spend the least. Um, and then you have mainstream, which are people that just, you know, they buy off the shelf. You know, it's is it passable? Eh, to some people, yes. To some people, no. From 50 yards, absolutely yes. And then you have, you know, the in like Americans of War, the, the campaigner. You know, guys, and they're, they're a little bit more hardcore, you know. Um, they'll, they'll, if they buy something off the shelf, the first thing they're gonna do is cut the buttons off and re-sew their buttons, re-sew their buttonholes and stuff like that. And, Count the and, stitches. No, 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 I'm getting to that. And then you have the, uh, the stitch Nazis. Who, um, they won't own it unless it's made by, I don't know, somebody's daughter. Who is great 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 grandfather was a Confederate private, and um, yeah, it's patterned off of a jacket they found in a museum somewhere, and they literally count how many loops to sew the buttons on. Um, you know, it's the exact same way with the Western reenactments too, because where I'm from, uh, about like 30 minutes away, 40 minutes away, there's a town called Columbia. And it's actually a living reenactment. And it's a state park. It's a California state park. But everywhere that you go, every single store, I mean, they still have active blacksmiths. They still have a soap shop. You know, there's restaurants in there. And all the ladies, you know, they are still dressed in the time period. The guys are dressed in the time period. You know, there's a carriage ride that goes up and down. At least there was a carriage ride that went up and down. You know, the area where I'm from is huge with, that kind of history and under almost every major lake in the area is some western town that they decided to dam up and flood covering up a lot of that western history so when it comes to the reenactments 
So when it comes to uh, the Western reenactments or reenactments in general, I mean, at least for Western reenactments, a lot of it, I hate to say it, but a lot of it isn't necessarily just based on the history, but a lot of it's based on that movie culture and the movie fashion as well, because it played a huge toll in that history. Yeah. But what it, when it comes to Western fashion, part of the reason you see a lot of Western people still so blingy has to do with the vaquero. See, the vaquero would go in and wear these uh, black trousers or buckskin trousers. They'd wear a white shirt. Some They'd have a vest over the shirt. Um, didn't matter the color. Sometimes they'll have a long pea coat type jacket over the vest. And then they'll wear a wild rag around their neck one around their head underneath their hat and then a big old red belt going around and fashion was everything and so when we're talking about reenactments we're talking about hats we're talking about history and lifestyle you know it really goes back to that particular culture now i'm not going to disregard you know the english cultures english culture gave us the top hat gave us the bowler hat gave us some you know pretty much the tricord even comes from english in some aspect too but a lot of it is based on just that general historical aspect but what i was getting at is the mere factor of it's easier to do a civil war reenactment i think than it is to actually do like a western reenactment just because it, the history is written it, very you, well well, I think it used to be, but I think now and going into the future, it's not going to be because we're seeing a lot more of these like Western days type events pop up because we're having them here. Like it's something we never had here. And like they have their own sutlers, you know, set up and everything. And like you're starting well, to see more traditional type stuff uh, come out. Um, for more of the mainstream guys that are wanting to get into the hobby of, of Western reenacting that are not only affordable, but is more period correct. And I, I think a lot, what a lot of people don't understand too about the time period in, in Western expansion too is like a lot of these guys would have worn a lot of surplus. Yes, they would have. I mean, but that was also was very regional too. Yeah. The, well, very if you were near, yeah, if you were near somewhere where there was a depot, um, it was very easy. If you were somewhere there was not, mm -hmm. and you know, it's, especially early in westward expansion, it, you just is likely been in buckskins, you know. Oh, a lot of it was buckskin. I mean, we still wear buckskin pants to this day. If you're going on a long pack trip, sometimes you'd rather just pack the buckskin because you're not tearing your jeans and it saves you money. I mean, it's expensive. Don't get me wrong. Very expensive. I personally don't own a pair, but I know people that do. And I mean, it's just really the practicality of bet, the different wear. I bet Jeff Waddell has a pair. <laughs> Sarah. Sarah, does Jeff have a pair of buckskin britches? <laughs> I don't know. Let's ask her. I'll, I'll TikTok her real quick. I got her number. I'll just send her a text. Let's just all hit yeah. her at the same time. Everybody just hit her at the same time. Does Jeff have buckskin britches? I don't know. Uh, I don't know her husband, but I'll at least shoot a message. Hey. I'm going to blame Ryan. Ryan wants to. Oh, no. If you, um, if your husband has buckskin 
britches. <laughs> All right. She'll believe that 100%. Shout out to, uh, to Sarah Jean Shout and out. Jeff Waddell. They got, they have their first youngin on the way. Bun in the oven. I know. I'm excited for it. I am so too. And Sarah is glowing right now. Like every picture she posts, I'm just like, look at you. Like, and I've known her for a few years now. And she was like one of the, one of my first, you know, I felt so honored to like be her friend at the same time. She was just like, oh my God, you know, you know, I follow you and then you follow me. And I'm like, but you are you, you know? Yeah. And that's one of the cool things. Super knowledgeable. Uh, I don't come from a spade bit world, and uh, I've learned so much that now I want a bridle horse more than ever. But so it's I, cool. Be what's really cool, and I'll back Sarah on this, or maybe she'll back me on this. Is spade bit culture when you actually have a horse that is completed? You know, you've gone through all the steps. This knot comes into history. This knot that's right here, that's around my neck actually goes a part of spade spade bit culture because when a horse is completely finished you put this knot around their neck you actually take a rope and you tie a buckaroo knot now the same knot is a knot that you'll put in horses tails and actually sarah has a video based on that too where it's called the mustache knot it's a very similar knot but the whole the whole purpose was to let you know look clean your horse is not dragging its tail in the mud it was also, hey, we're going to war. It looks fancy. It looks pretty. But nowadays, we use it also as a, hey, this horse is very mature. It's the opposite of putting a red ribbon in the horse's tail, if you will. Yeah. But that's yeah, where the buckaroo knot comes from, is, speaking, is that exact knot. Speaking of ribbons and tails, I learned recently, like, I knew, I, I knew what red ribbon ponies were, and to stay clear then. Uh, but apparently... <laughs> Apparently, there is a whole system of ribbons for horses, and especially with, there is. Like, with like fox hunters and stuff like that. They use them quite often, yep. and one yes, will mean the do. horse. One will mean the horses for sale. One will mean the horse kicks, which is red. Um, uh, one will mean the horse, you know, just doesn't like being crowded. You know, one will mean this. One will mean that. One. It's just like there's this whole system of colored ribbons, and I just. Found this outreach. I've been in horses over twenty years, and I'm just finding out that there's a whole color code system for ribbons and horses' tails. Well, it's like the cuts so, in the old mules' know, tails. I'm glad you said like that. The army mules. Yes, and that is something that we still do actually with packing mules. It depends on if you're using their tail or not. Um, so when it comes to packing, you're looking at these mules, and you're like, "How in the heck are they falling behind each other?" Well, there's three ways that we tie them together. And it's just how it's always been, and which mule packing dates all the way back to biblical times, really. And even before then, it's originally a Turkish tradition, right? Well, with mule packing, there's three things that we do. The first one is a bowline around the neck. We'll actually take it and weave it through a pack saddle. If you guys don't know what a pack saddle is, there's different types of them. You have a decker, you have a sauce buck. A decker saddle weighs about 25 to 35 pounds. It's literally rounded in the front, rounded in the back, but it sits on a, a wood tree um, while the actual bucks themselves are metal. A saws buck is wooden, and it's not rounded. Instead, it crosses, and there are some deckers that actually cross as well. Saws bucks you use usually more for certain hitches, like basically what saddle you use 
the hitches will vary. Well, when it comes to tying these horses, you know, the actual build of the saddle might be different on the top of it, but the build on the saddle is the same on the side. So if you're trying to do a bull line, you'll take the lead rope that's connected to your mule and weave it in and out of some of them O-rings and have it long enough where it can go around the neck as a bull line. Just make sure it doesn't choke them out or it's not too loose. What do they just lower their head and slip through it? Another way that we like to do it is a tail knot. So where find that bone of the tail, you actually take your lead rope, you fold it in half, you fold that tail in half, you wrap it around like three times and you tuck it through. It's easy to undo. It doesn't hurt them. The worst case scenario pulls on them, but they, they learn to uh to not do that because last thing you i mean if ever if you guys all know horses and mules you know they're all they all have their own uh own buddies people they like people they don't like and the last thing you want is in the middle of working you don't want to piss off your co-worker and by pulling on your co-worker's tail you're definitely going to be pissing off your co-worker and they learn their lesson real quick well the third and final <laughs> thing that we do is we'll actually take a pig and string and we attach it to a D-ring or an O-ring on the very back of the saddle. All pig and string is is just very thin, like not like a couple centimeters uh, thin line, uh, rope or baling twine even. Um, oh, there's there's another another name for it. I can't think of it at the moment. Um, almost like a I think it's jute. No, not jute. But anyway, it's all besides the point. Thing is, you take it and you actually tie a slip knot, or not really a slip knot, but you fold your lead rope in half, you tuck it through, you wrap it around, and boom, you're per- you do like one half hitch and you're done. So, and this is another precaution on if your horse or mule is going to pull back or try and escape, they don't kill themselves and get hung up on it when doing it. So, I mean, again, we're talking about Western lifestyle. This is something that has been around for ages, you know, and they still do mule packing, surprisingly, in the Smoky Mountains for the government. That's one place. And they still do mule packing in Virginia. Actually, it's called Cranberry uh, Cranberry Bog Outfitters or something like that on the East Coast. But there's not a lot of places, even though, you know, the expansion out west, even though it started technically with the Spaniards of the settlement, the expansion out west really starts at Friendship Hill in Pennsylvania. So, would you be able to answer this question? Just because, for some for some reason, sometimes random things pop into my head. When yeah. at at what point in the United States did mules start being purposefully bred for in number? I can answer this. Ryan, Ryan, Ryan knows that question better than I do. So mules actually became popular in the U.S., and this is going to be shocking to a lot of people. So first of all, mules. um, Whenever there is work to be done, uh, mules have always been popular. And uh, when, honestly, when people first started settling uh, the Americas, mules were some of the first things to be created. Um, if you really want a good example, George Washington had a hell of a mule breeding program. And you guys, the reason they even breed mules has to do with the sure-footedness 
you know, mules are stubborn. What they say is true. You get some sweet mules, but that comes with age. I don't look at them as stubborn. I look at mules as they want to see your resume. Like Actually, that is a very great way of looking at it. Like and I've owned so mules, and they're not clip, stupid. They're not going to let you work no, them not. to death. Um, but no, they're, they're not. They're not going to blindly follow you. They're like, hold on, I need to see your credentials. The best way, the best that. way to explain this is, uh, <laughs> you take a horse. And a horse will instantly cross a river. It might give you a little bit of issue at the beginning, but if that mule doesn't trust you, that mule's not crossing that river. Yeah. I think I mean, we see it all too. the time. I think something else about mules too. If every day you go through the same gate to do anything, and then all of a sudden one day you decide you're not going to go through that gate, you're going to go somewhere else. That mule will choose violence. Yeah. <laughs> yes, no, it will. no, yes, no. It will. We go through that gate, dumbass. What? Where are you going? Huh? <laughs> It's the truth. It is actually the truth. I mean, we see it all the time. You know, that's why I said when it comes to tying mules and horses together in a line and a string, mm-hmm. you have to be very careful with the way that you do it because horse, mules, mules and horses are, are not the horses. same. No, they are not. And, you know, we use them all the time because, well, they can carry a lot more weight. Even a 900-pound mule can still carry about 10% more than a horse. It irritates the shit out of me that people want to – Pick on Kayla. Kayla is not a big person, by the way. But they want to pick on yeah. Kayla with Flynn. And I'm like, you realize Flynn is a mule. He gives two it's shits. not a horse. Exactly. And, I mean, besides, if you, this is where it really irritates the hell out of me. I don't care about weight. You know, yes, I don't want to see a 500-pound person sitting on the back of a 900-pound no. horse. How it, I mean, it's not a good sight to see. But if they know how to distribute their body weight evenly, yes. that is where it comes into so play. This if is someone who deals with weight, someone who deals with weight, you know, on a, a normal basis when it comes to packing, weight distribution is key. If a load yes. cannot ride, you cannot ride. I mean, this it's is, just that simple. Yeah, this is one of the reasons when people ask me about flex trees and treeless mm-hmm. shit, I'm always like, avoid it like the plague. Find a yes. tree that fits your horse because that's going to evenly distribute yes. the, your weight across that horse. Especially if you're a, a heftier person, doesn't mean that you can't ride. It depends on the horse. The individual really horse is going to tell you if you, I'm going to be honest with you, if you're too much for the horse, the horse is going to let your ass know. Oh, more than. I mean, there's mm-hmm. one of two things that it's going to do. It's either going to be And a mule's definitely going to let a you mule, know. A mule is definitely going to let you know. A mule will shut down. Oh, yeah. A mule will really shut down. It's funny, though, because... A mule know, might not I, choose I, violence, but a mule might just stop and stare at you and not even put a foot. <laughs> I, you could you could push it with a D non dozer, and that mule will just push up dirt. It's not even going to put a foot in front of itself. Like mule mule mules are awesome, but no, mules like, really are. But it, you know, and you see all these you know, studies about like twenty percent rule. See, I, I have a philosophy, and that's no one should be started on a horse. Everyone should be started on a mule. Because then they'll learn horsemanship instantly. I mean, they'll learn the do's and the don'ts. So I've owned a couple of mules, and like I love mules. I don't know if you know this, but I'm I love mules. I like mules. I like mules and Morgans. I could die on the hill of mules and Morgans. Oh, like get a good Morgan. Yeah, I'm Morgans are just. <sighs> 
freaking love a good Morgan. I, I always tell people when they're talking about, well, they have so much heart. You're so like, what have Morgan's heart. done? And I'm like, I don't know, other than being like one of the one of the first like purposely foreign breeds in North America, mm-hmm. or you know, the horse that literally went east to west during the Pony Express. I mean, what else do you want? Uh, horses oh, that yeah. fought on both sides of the American Civil War. Uh, you know, the fought in the revolution, uh, you know, was that the government liked them so much that they took them thoroughbred standard breads, Cleveland days and, and made, uh, this amalgamation that they were literally making a super calf horse and called it the government Morgan. I mean, that horse, what have they done? <laughs> everything. Yeah, they've I done mean, everything. They They really have done everything. And it I hate to break this to everybody, but steel dust. Like, quarter horse people want to talk about steel dust, and I hate to break it to them, but there's a good chance steel dust was a thoroughbred Morgan cross. Yup. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love me a good uh, a good quarter horse. The bigger the ass, the more success. You know, I'm oh, so a mare. I love my mares. <laughs> so Absolutely like love them. So you like them with a lot of thoroughbred in them, is what you're saying. Yes, I, yes, I do. Even though it's it's interesting because I can't stand OTTBs, off the track mm-hmm, thoroughbreds. Mm-hmm. I'm not a huge fan of them. That is <laughs> but my when jam. It com- so, but when it comes to thoroughbreds, I will say this: don't get a thoroughbred that's off the track unless it's retired. I mean, it's the good ones that win. <laughs> There's a reason they're getting rid of the other ones. That's at least what I have learned from my experience. <laughs> Like, and I'll, I'll argue that a little bit because there's a lot of horses. They get one or two starts. They're putting a claimer and like racing just isn't for them. And like they go on to be phenomenal sport horses. Like I, I'm into staying. Well, it's the same with anything. You know, I'm not going to take a a horse that doesn't like to run barrels and run barrels with it. I mean, horses have different interests too. It's just a matter of does that owner actually do, is it doing what that horse no, was well, bred for or doing horses, what it is and i'll be honest with you, you know just and some horses I do, will never get the opportunity you know good as i do and jade does too some horses are just bored with the idea of running around a track <laughs> they'd much rather do something else like we've all we've all had a horse that we've tried to do something with it and it was just like nah fam i don't like that this is dumb well i mean it's the same way <laughs> unfortunately you know barrel racers and barrel horses are just they're the watch your words. of the Western world. Watch your words. <laughs> I said it. I'm saying it live right now. If you guys don't, if you don't agree with me, well, guess what? I'm going to make, actually, that's going to be my next TikTok thing. Well, joke, joke's on you. What, I'm a sport what, horse guy now. What? what okay, never mind. <laughs> hey, you said you want to talk what? a little bit about cowboy controversy, and guess what? That's cowboy controversy for you. It was a sport created so ca- so rough stocks guys' wives who were traveling with him would have something to do. Why, why don't we ask a barrel racer? Hey, J. Ron, yeah, what do you well, think? I mean, I, I really can't disagree. After spending over a decade in that industry, mm-hmm. from showing to training and then being a ride instructor, um, um, nail neck coffin. Oh, <laughs> hammer met head. Yeah. I mean, that statement would be like saying dressage queens, hunter jumpers, and All right, now Western you're attacking my people. new life. I mean, you attack my <laughs> old life, queen, now hunter... you're attacking my new life. <laughs> dressage queens, hunter jumpers, and Western pleasure, they are the most bougie horse people. Who, whose idea was it to have Zach on? <laughs> oh, wait, it was mine. Hold on, hold on. Just 
G- give me just a minute, hey, and, I'll, we and from, I'll tell we you went, what I really think of what we're talking about here. Wait, what? What is in there? We class? went from Western history, and now we're talking uh, about controversy. Makers. So, Maker, is that Makers forty whatever? No, no, this is not the forty six. This is just the the standard run. Oh, there's nothing wrong with that. See, I'm I'm, I'm more, saving the forty six for Deer Camp next weekend. I'm, uh, and I, see, I'll be coming through next weekend. I don't know. I might see. I have to work tomorrow. Because I need the overtime hours because I'm going through your neck of the woods uh, next weekend, but you won't be there. But be- I will be in South Carolina starting tomorrow night. Well, I think the kids are going to be all busy tomorrow, and so I'll probably be free Saturday. I don't know. Come on. You, you want me to ride down tomorrow night and then... We, oh, I mean, when up? I say tomorrow night, it's going to be like 2 in the morning when I get there. Uh, no. I, okay, how about I show up like Saturday morning and, um, I don't know, we fish for reds in the creeks and get hammered drunk. Uh, I'm, and, and I'll edit this out. Uh, it's the annual HOA mem- uh, meeting, okay. and I do have that annual meeting at one o'clock since I'm an HOA board member. Okay. So by three o'clock. So if you want to come in the afternoon or all day Sunday for all I care. Like you said, I can't do all day Sunday. So I'll come um, Saturday afternoon. We'll fish Saturday night and then I don't know. I might crash on your couch or something. I mean, we've got four beds in the place. I didn't know if I was, I didn't know if I was have a bed company or not. Of course, Zach. You want to come down? No, man. Come on. We'll just we'll, talk. We'll, we'll just re-record this we'll, thing live. We will take you. We'll take you to this place called the uh, the Foolish Frog, and you got to order the flounder there because this some bitch will look back at you and smile on both sides. He he says he says he doesn't trust the South, but he obviously hasn't spent any time in the South no. Carolina you low need, country. You need to come to oh South no, Carolina actually, I have. I have. So so uh, I'm, I'm going to tell you about the low country. I can't, I didn't spend a lot of time. I was just hauling horses down in that area. Uh, it's like right on the border of uh, what is it? Georgia? It's not Georgia, is it? That's like right there. Well, yeah. All I know that, is I, I was, was, I was like hauling Buford. horses over in that general area. My man, so. my man was in Buford. That's like that's like the heart of the Low Country. What are you talking and about? And didn't even know it. Didn't even. And know the only thing I know is I tried having conversation with someone that was also dressed in boots, and I could not understand a single thing they were saying. <laughs> Sitting there scratching my head, like he's in Buford. Yeah. Are you from Louisiana? <laughs> let me let me tell you something about. It. We will show you some. We will show you some mighty fine ponies that you would. We will show you some mighty fine horses that you would call ponies. Feed you shrimp and talk to you in ways that you've never been talked to before. I, I would. I would like to introduce you to a man named Bill Green. Oh, first of all, he will feed you, and you will love it. Second of all. You might now, need a translator because my man is Gulaguchi. <laughs> I will say this, you know, it's Southern culture. It's a hit and a miss. It's very much a hit and a miss. You know, my family's originally. I'm listening. South. I'm listening. <laughs> <laughs> I know you are, and we're talking controversy here. See, Southern hospitality—you cannot beat it. They are some of the nicest people I think I have ever met. Doors open, doesn't matter who you are, they're willing he, to talk he, to you. Something tells me he but, fell for bless your heart. No, actually, I didn't. Okay. Not, not even close. <laughs> not even close. Oh, bless your heart. Yeah. Oh, God, you big no. dummy. No. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> 
No. But cuisine, southern cuisine, can't go wrong with it. I mean, good old pot of jambalaya. Ooh, absolutely what? delicious. What? See, here, here's the thing, what? and, yeah, and yeah, I mentioned that's a different part. That's a different part of the South. I, I mentioned Bill Green earlier. If if you don't know what the Gullah Geechee culture is, explain what they did for our horses too. Yes, um, an amazing. It's a basically they are direct descendants of freed or escaped slaves. Um. Mm. And they made their home on these barrier islands on the coast of South Carolina. Bill Green is a fourth generation Gullah gentleman. He, anybody that calls themselves a horseman, probably, he has probably forgotten more than they know. Um, he is, the kindest gentleman, one of the best cooks I've ever met in my life, and it's all traditional Gullah food. That's oh. all based on coastal stuff. So shrimp, mullet fish, you know, Makes blue sense. crab, all all of that kind of stuff. But just you know, there there is Southern culture, and then there is Gullah Geechee culture, which is completely its own thing. Um, and and that it's right sense. down there where. Where, uh, where I enjoy spending my time. And, um, you know, if you follow my, any of my social media, you'll know about my, my Marsh Tacky horses. Um, the, the Gullah community is basically single handedly responsible for preserving those old Spanish horses out on those okay. islands. So, um, and, and that Bill, a, that's pretty cool. It, it, it really is. And, and Bill has done all that. Um, you know, he's a, he's a, a, a fox hunter, you know, and I mean, the old English dresses in red you, be, because you know, that was I've a gentleman's sport a in the before. South. It was, it was a lot of fun. I have done a fox hunt and I've done a hunter pace and I'll tell you, I mean, I, I, I wasn't doing second flight. I was doing a uh, first flight meant to sign up for hilltoppers but we ended up doing first flight because you know i'd never really jumped or anything like that a whole lot and out in the wilderness i i had you know oh, i had on, done the cavalettis I, I hopped right back into the middle of a fox hunting conversation didn't i yes yes you did yes you did fox hunting man i'm telling you if you want to find out if you're a horseman or not go fox hunting <laughs> oh more than if you want to find out what you're in the west alcohol tolerance is go fox hunting A friend of mine went. Why do I have to go fox hunting to know that? I mean, I already know that. A, a friend of mine went fox hunting and uh, just don't get caught. Work, you know, working the next day. He uh, he went fox hunting, had a big fun time. I'll tell you actually an old cowboy proverb real quick. I said I'll tell you a real quick old cowboy. Well, lay that wisdom on us. The boss will drink with you all. The boss will drink with you all night long, but if you show up with the with a hangover the next day, you're working twice as hard. And and he's the boss. He can be hung over, but you're not allowed to be. So that's why you always try to be the boss. But I another thing is too the whiskey's stronger at ten thousand feet. You think it hits you hard now? <laughs> Trust me. Trust me. Well, and, that, and that's the thing. You know, I, I grew up in the in the mount. You know, here in the Appalach in the Appalachians. No, 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 no. And sorry, uh, sorry, sorry. you don't have you don't have to say it that way for him. You say it the way our culture was taught. Because as another ethnic Appalachian, 
It's Appalachian. I'm an Appalachian. Appalachian. Yeah. You know, I've spent three quarters of my life in, in the mountains, but our mountains and your mountains are two completely different things. Well, it's it's interesting because Appalachians, you know, they are some of the oldest mountains. Actually, they are the oldest mountains in the United States. And at one point, they were like the Rockies or they were as grand as the Sierras. But, you know, it's, what's also interesting is Mount Whitney, which stands at 14,000 feet in elevation, it's the tallest mountain in the lower 48, sits right at central to southern California. And that mountain range, that section of the Sierra Nevadas, is actually just about as old, if I'm not mistaken, you guys fact check me on this, I'm going to say it anyways, is just about as old <laughs> as the Appalachians, mm-hmm. which is, mm-hmm. it's insane. Well, and, and it's, I always have to bring this up. So I, I grew up in the gated horse community and, uh, oh, you know, the, the Rockies. Rocky. Yep. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I love for saying that. Rocky. Or I hope J Ryan's listening to this. I, um, oh, I love me. A are good you talking Rocky. about Rocky? You talking about them Rocky Mountain Lane ponies? You know. Well, yeah. here. Well, here, here's Actually, what I was. I will say. say this. I'll say this, Ryan. A lot of guest outfitting places they will use Rocky Mountains over uh, over almost any other breed. One, That's they why. don't like so, the fact. One, they don't like the fact that, uh, you know, Rocky Mountain horses don't like to be left behind compared to like a quarter horse who just doesn't really give a shit. And then on the second part is it's a little more comfortable to the guests. And the third part is. Can can we just be honest? Can we just be honest here about the Rocky Mountain horse? Because the founding sire is a horse by the name of Old Tobe. And Old There's a reason they call them Rocky Mountain horses. Old Tobe yes. was a stallion. And that's because they can actually survive the trails hold, hold compared on. to like a Missouri fox trotter. Uh, no, I will Tennessee fight you <laughs> on that because a Missouri fox trotter will go circles around Don't, a Rocky Mountain. Endurance, yes. Sure-footedness, no. Absolutely sure-footedness. That is a hill I will die on. But let me get back to what I was talking about. <laughs> so the founding sire to the Rocky Mountain horse is a horse known as Old Toad. <laughs> Who was an intact stallion and a dude string horse. Yes. So when you base mm-hmm. a breed off of a stallion who's dead inside, I mean, obviously, it's going to be good for everybody. Because <laughs> <laughs> how many times have you heard stallion and dude string horse? <laughs> Old Tobe, look him up, founding sire of the Rocky Mountain and the Kentucky saddle, whatever but- they made up. So that guy Kentucky can feel saddle like he, breed? No, 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 no. It's a Kentucky. What is it? The Kentucky Kentucky Mountain, Kentucky Mountain saddle horse. Yeah, it, oh, it's, it's it's a. So for the people that own them, I'm sorry, I'm about to offend you. It's a made up breed because the they're literally Rocky Mountain horses, and the guy got pissy because he was backyard breeding some horses and politics. They wouldn't let him, wouldn't let him okay. register them, and so he went off and made his own breed. You know what? Every horse breed outside of the Frisian, the Arabian. You know the. Let me Icelandic tell you about Frisians. They are so, all made up horses. So I was. At, I was Jay Ryan got an education horses. on Frisians. I got not an too education. I got an education on Frisian not too long ago because I was invited to Frisian Nationals, who I went to with Griffin Performance Horses. Absolutely, Jade showed up. Uh, Bruce Griffin, shout out to the Griffin Performance Horses. Friggin' phenomenal horses. He's a phenomenal trainer. Phenomenal dude. 
And so a good friend of mine, Gabby, was uh, grooming for Bruce, and she's like, hey, come come hang out. So I was like, hey, Jay, do you want to go hang out with Frisians? And he's like, absolutely. So Jay comes down, and then Jay does Jay things. And then all of a sudden, I'm, I'm just there. And I get, I get asked, so what's your experience with stallions? And I said, limited. And they're like, cool. Here's this Frisian stallion. Go give him a bath. And I'm like, well, oh, you were their bitch. First of all, Frisians, <laughs> Frisians. So like, I, I, I'm in love That's with That's a good way I, to I, put I, it. So I like sport horses and, but like, my favorite flavor of the month right now, since I just bought one, is the standard bread. Who are literally we've noticed they're they're Labrador retrievers of horses. Like they just aim to. No place. wonder you're so basic. You like standard stuff. <laughs> let, me, let me tell you about standies, buddy. Standies now, have fi- a favorite. finish. Finish talking. Let's <laughs> let's on. finish the Frisian story. I, let's I'm finish the Frisian. I'm I'm getting there, but let me tell you something about Besides, standies. Jade, Jade also has a story. He's been dying. Standies. To tell. Standies are a breed of horse that has a favorite stick that they play with, okay? If that tells you anything about standard breads. But anyway, so I get asked, like, hey, what's your what's your experience with stallions? And I'm like, eh, limited, like, none. Cool, go get this horse a bath. Biggest puppy dog I ever oh, was around. Like, Frisians are like big puppy dogs. Like, they're, they're bigger horses, and like, mm-hmm. but they are... In a way, they are just like big goofy goobers. Like that's the only thing I oh, can they really, really say. Are. But they're wicked smart, and they can actually catch on really fast. I've handled a bunch yeah. of Frisians. You know, I've saddle broke them. I oh, had a Chikatig Frisian. I actually had a, a Chikatig Frisian that I had saddle broke too. And we want to talk about what a, a hell of a cross. That was cool. <laughs> yeah, it, it was bad, bad of the bone. Well, the mother's colonial name was Ocean, Spanish the horse, name was and the Tide. opposite of. <laughs> yep. and so <laughs> exactly but well so i mean when it comes to frisians very much in your pocket kind of horses yes i mean they're they are they will stand so in, sweet so they, kind they will stand I mean, in cross ties and bubble and play with themselves <laughs> oh and yeah they will hey hey and, what, what were those curious, the, the uh the pintos curious, called baroque pintos they are amazing oh yes Actually, those Pintos is one of the the horses they used in the um, oh crap um, the Pony Express, the Pintos, the Morgan, and the California Mustang. All right, so these Pintos are like sport horses bred mm-hmm. down. These are like a new concept. The ones I'm talking about. Okay, okay. And but and what the- I was gonna tell you. <laughs> Real quickly, finishing the Frisian thing, what I was going to tell you is I was working at a ranch called Gibson Ranch in the Sacramento Valley of California. There was a guy there. He's an elder guy. He's very close with Tom Dorrance. If you guys don't know who Tom Dorrance is, foundation horseman guy, you know, very much organic with his material. Well, Tom Dorrance apparently taught this guy. And his Frisian, he doesn't ride the Frisian whatsoever, but he does tricks with the Frisian. He's taught this Frisian how to take three different colors, green, blue, and yellow rings, and place it like a green ring on a green cone, a blue ring on a blue cone. He also taught the Frisian how to pick up a basketball and put it in the hoop. I mean, he had this Frisian doing just about anything, but I mean, it goes to show how much heart and willingness these horses are willing to do if they like you. 
I mean, could you imagine seeing your, like a mule pick up a basketball and put it on there? No. But a Frisian, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I don't know. I, I had a mule that liked a soccer ball really well one time. <laughs> I got to stay there. But did it put it in a basketball hoop? <laughs> no, he did not. He just kind of picked it up and my, flopped my, it up and down. My well, that's as up. mental as a stick. My 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 standy picks up sticks and then chases other horses with them and then runs into trees and gags himself. <laughs> Listen, I never said they were very bright. I just said they were they're fun and they're easy. Well, and they're easy to deal with. Like standies are so, like anybody that says I don't like standies because they're difficult is a moron. <laughs> like I've never met a difficult. I've met dumb standies, but I've never met a difficult standy. Like, there's the nothing difficult is- about standard reds. See, like I like what I was telling you on the phone the other much. day. Your horse is everything that I like in a horse. Kind of derpy. You, you want to goes with the flow. I'll sell him to you. I, I have no room. I'll sell him to you for what I I've pay got for a, him. I've got a jackass in a round pen that I've got because to put I'm, somewhere I've, out here. I've got to make a lot of like changes, like here mm-hmm. pretty soon, and so I will sell him uh, to you what I gave for him under the instance, under the guise of I can give you that back at any time and getting back. You're not making this easy. We'll talk about it later. Okay. We'll talk Thanks. about it later. Cause you know, you, you've seen him. He is like the goodest of boys. First of all, all right. So here, here is this boy. He was a pacer, 207, okay. 217 starts. That's an iron horse. Yeah, $202,000 in earnings. Um, Damn. Yeah. Dude, dude, he was a a unit, you know? I mean, like, he could have made more, but, like, you know. But the thing about him, they kept racing racing him because he was kind of the family pet racehorse, right? And um, so they ended up offloading him because they were bringing in some younger horses and all that. And I get it. His last workout was in March this year, so there's still incentive with him to do sip with him, which is what I want to do. Um, but I'm still in limbo. Like, I don't know if I'm going to move um, to Jade's area or if I'm not yet. Mm. And I'd love to be in Lexington, Lexington to Kentucky. But then I know what's going to happen. Jade's going to move to South Carolina, and then I'm going to have to move back to South Carolina. No, that, that's not happening for a good while. So, because me and him are like, I don't know, we're like long lost brothers. Do you have a brother, Jay? I have two. Oh, see, I'm an only child, so you're the closest thing outside of my friend Jesse and Eric to a brother I got. You know, I'm, two I'm actually right there and, with uh, you. Three sisters. Yeah, so like, I mean, me, I too am technically an only child. I do have step siblings, so yeah. brothers but and see, sisters by marriage. Me and Jade met. Jade was a follower of mine, and like, I didn't know shit about Jade. Other than he was this guy that was messaging me all the time. I was like, who the fuck is this guy? And like, you know, and like, but like, I knew Miranda. Miranda Rawson. If you like it, you should put a ring on it. So, but Miranda Rawson, uh, I knew her, you know, as a trainer and stuff like that. She's like, hey, won't you come out to this Marsh Tacky event? And stop, stop. (laughs) Won't you go at this Marsh Tacky (laughs) fundraiser thing? And I'm like, okay. And then, I didn't know that Jade was also on board with that, which he had messaged me like a few weeks before. I was like, hey, you know, whatever. And then me and Jade hung out at the Marsh Tacky event. We had conversed a little bit, and he brought me Coors and was like my date the whole night before he, <laughs> Iris, before he fucking Irish goodbyed me. 
but I mean, and then we've been what besties ever since. That's the short of it. Yeah. Yeah. Like we're, we're to the point in mine and Jade's relationship that we can say some pretty off the cuff things to each other. And like, nobody gets <laughs> pissed about it at this point. We're just like, eh, whatever. Sleep it off, dickhead. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Anytime we pass by the other's general location, we yeah. get together. Yeah. Flipping. Well, and, and, off. and I came, <laughs> I did, I came here and did one episode about Marsh Tackies. Yep. And then, uh, I was driving, I was driving to South Carolina and you called me and you were like, Hey, CJ trailer is wanting to do a podcast. You want to get on it? So I did that. So and let's then, actually uh, talk about CJ. He is a stand-up guy, and I had the ability to meet him. Not once, not twice, but like three different times, four different C- times up in CJ in is Washington. a friend of the show. Yeah. Yes. Oh, say he, that. he is a neat dude. And actually, once the accident happened for me, you know, I, reckon, I was like, dude, you need to hop on it. They're short a packer. I mean, the job's all yours. Go up there and take it. And apparently, since then, he has done one pack trip with the company. Yeah, I know. Uh, he, that was the last time awesome. I heard from him. I know he was range riding and then did some uh, did some wilderness firefighting for a little while. Yeah, he did. So my man, my, um, but that son was of a gun doesn't know how to latch a gate. He can't latch a gate. He cannot latch. CJ, I know you're listening. Latch the gate. Latch the gate, Mister Ultimate Cowboy. <laughs> <laughs> next time you next time you won't be sent back talking about coulda woulda shoulda in South Mississippi well, at the Brown Rodeo eating a deer heart talking about I shoulda latched the game. Yeah. See when I'm thinking of Southern culture too, I'm thinking opposite of CJ. <laughs> no, like CJ CJ mentally and No, he he is hospitality. CJ mentally encompasses Southern culture. Externally, though, like he is. Oh, more yeah, than he's, 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 he's one of your. Externally, he he's one of your. He is one hundred percent West, Western. And well, he moved though, out there and fell in love with it. Yeah, in his heart, though, he's still yeah. Hobo Junction, Mississippi. <laughs> Visiting the Booger but, Brown Rodeo in South Alabama. But here's the th- yeah, South Alabama. He ate a deer heart with Booger Brown. That's right. Here's the thing that a lot of people don't understand, though, is like the the South is like a lot of the icons that a lot of people like think of in like Western history and Western culture all migrated west, like from the South. Like, oh yeah, one hundred percent. Like, uh, I, I'll give you a great example: Chris Ledoux. Uh, he's a Mississippi son. Yep. Don't roll your eyes. Chris Ledoux and, is from and- Mississippi. And if you go is back, he yes, he is you know, we, from Mississippi. We we mentioned, uh, you know, we mentioned the Alamo earlier. How many of those were born and bred Texans? None. None. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's it too. Technically, Doc California, California. <laughs> Doc Georgia. But I mean, all those guys that you see, Billy the Kid, all of them. They did technically migrate west. You know, Stetson, the famous cowboy hat, originally comes from the east coast, but settles in Pennsylvania after spending a huge journey down in, 
Colorado and being inspired by Spanish culture, Mexican culture. So, I mean, a lot of these people do come from the South or well, come from the East. Yeah, well, even like a lot of East the Coast. brand, even like a lot of the brands that we associate with with Western stuff. Ariat. Uh, Ariat. I will fight your tooth in that. It's Ariat. <laughs> After, sec- after Secretariat, it's Ariet. And, and that's why it's Secretariat. It's not Secretariat. Don't you dare. Don't even. Let's Don't just... even. I will. Oh, we'll roll well, around and... a Waffle House parking lot. Well, and um, the, here's the thing. No, the the but... cowboy culture even has its own southeastern representation, the Florida Crackers. Yes, it does. Yeah. Actually, I'm glad that you said that because as uh, Ryan and I You're were talking. welcome. <laughs> As Ryan and I were talking, uh, talking not not too long ago, like within the last hour, you know, we were talking a little bit about Florida, and St. Augustine is the oldest, or had, I don't know if they still have it, but had the oldest auction for cattle and stuff in the United States. You know, the Florida Cracker, the horse comes from Florida. Well, they the still do the, the, uh, the riding style. They still style. do the Cracker Trail. Do they still no, do the well, auction? They still do the, the, yeah, the Trail, cr- which is across the, the, the breast of the area of Florida. All across. Uh, well, and that's just like the... And that's a huge that's one. That's just like mine and... That's a huge like trail. Mine and Jade's, you know, um, passion with Marsh Tackies. You know, they have cousins in the Florida Cracker and the Ashinkatig and the Cumberland Island horse. These are all horse, these are all colonial Spanish horses yep. that descend from those horses that came through St. Augustine. Well, the cracker, and, and Florida Crackers even have their own cattle. Well, not there is a Florida Cracker breed there is. of cattle. But, but like, yes, you know, a lot of people don't understand this. Like, the American Quarter Horse, without colonial Spanish influence with horses like the Cracker, it would not exist the way we know it today. No, it really wouldn't, actually. It really wouldn't. I mean, a lot of the horses we have really go, again, it goes back to the foundation horses, but with the introduction throughout history of many different cultures and breeds, you know, we wouldn't have the kind of English language we have. We wouldn't have the different styles of Western wear that we would have. You know, one of the reasons, and I'll talk about California for days, that is, I used to hate it. Hated California with a passion. And honestly, it wasn't until I went to uh, New England that I really started developing a, a desire to learn more about the culture. Well, I, all, you, I was you, one of those guys. I was one of those guys. You disliked modern California. Yes. And because of modern California, that that is what drove me away from it. But I fell in love with the history. And so, you know... Like, I've been up, there's a, a town, it's Kirkland, I believe is the name of it. It's in Wyoming. You basically have to get on a, you have to go four-wheel driving to this old mining town. You know, it's a state park or some kind of park. But the history is there, but it's not very well known, and a, a lot of it's written over. And, I mean, you just find that all throughout the West, and California is huge with it. But one of the things that I have started to realize about that state Set all the politics aside, set all of that. You can actually sit down at a restaurant. An Eastern Indian guy, a Chinaman, you know, a Persian and a cowboy can sit, be friends, and have, like, seaweed salad at a sushi bar. And no one really gives a damn. I mean, it's just that kind of culture. And a lot of the cowboy, again, going back to the Western lifestyle and going back to the history and its influence – the wild rag. 
The paisley that we see on the wild rag is and was originally a Persian design. Any other designs, like for example, this here is considered a jacquard design. Anytime that it's a print, a normal print, right? Anytime it's a normal print, you can add, it's called a jacquard. That is French. Well, you know, of course the English, they already had silk, but their, their silk came more in the, the style of the scruff that they wear for like gentlemen. I don't remember the name of it and like stock ties and stuff of that nature. Look um, how quick he put that knot back in. I know. I'm trying to show you something with the lights glaring on it. Yeah, lights glaring really bad. No, but what I was saying is that... <laughs> just text us. Uh, <laughs> I just texted him. Yeah, what I was saying, though, is with California culture, you know, people instantly go to Texas. Yes, Texas, there's a huge history on why Texas is actually one of the major spots for cowboy culture. It's because it's literally in the center between the Southern, the Appalachians, the English gentlemen, and the expansion out west with the Spaniards, you know. And then it has a lot to do with the Civil War and with shipment of cattle. Well, all around that time of the Civil War, when everything else was happening, California was still focusing on Western culture, focusing on bettering their horsemanship, focusing on what can we do to make life easy for these horses. You know, the spade bit, um, the mustache knot that we talked about earlier, sw uh, suede Slick, yes, uh, slick fork saddles. They come from California. Riatas come from California. Big old spurs, the big old rouse. Texans didn't wear those. They wore the little, little bumpers, like the clover style. That came from the English originally. You know, it was the Californians that brought that over. And California also has expanded a lot of cowboy culture elsewhere as well. Hawaiians wouldn't have their panleonio, panleonios culture if it wasn't for California. You know, in the old California vaquettos. And so, again, going out to the East Coast is what really helped drive that desire for it. And just the general history of what's there, the inspiration, the different horse breeds. Doc Bar, one of the foundation horses, what everyone goes off of, a very great lineage from California. Um, if I'm not mistaken, uh, oh, crap, what's the other... There's another one. It's very similar um, that also comes out of California, too. I mean, there's actually a bunch of them, but there's another one in Docalina. I'm pretty sure I'd have to double check it, but I'm pretty sure Docalina also comes from California. Another foundation horse for the modern day. I mean, people poke fun of California culture all the time, but California culture is not necessarily what you think it is. Just because it's associated with the city doesn't make it California culture. That's California city culture. Well, and one one thing that I, I like, or, or how I like to look at it. So, you know, when you start no, looking at Texas and West. California horse, by the way. Yeah. Okay. See, I figured. Thank you. <laughs> when, when, when you start looking at Texas and I'm West of there, <laughs> you know, you, you had the westward expansion. And yep. as they as they moved west, California, Oregon was, you know, it, it was at the tail end of that, meaning that oh, yeah. that vaquero culture is the most recent uh, of the cultures, or you know, uh, of 
it's the most you, recent. You, you see and what I'm saying? Original. It's the most exactly. recent and it's the original. See, you can go out like I'll, I'll use um, I'll use Virginia as an example. You know, it's had a lot of influence from Dutch, French, um, that culture you were talking about, African American freed slaves, um, your Germans. I mean, English. And so it kind of creates this whole diversified and hard, almost hard to understand language. But what I'll say is that, you know, when it comes to Southern language, they do say that is how the original English, the way that they spoke, how the original English would have sounded. It is so close to the way that most Southerners speak when they speak normally, not trying to dumb it down for a person like but- me. Um, that, that, that's, I mean, that's and, what they and, say about the, the about the Appalachians as well. Yep, and, and and that's exactly it. And so when it comes to California, you know, there's only been two two main settlements: Spain, Mexico. But Mexico is technically well outside of the natives that were there, all the Miwoks and the different tribes. But outside of that, I mean, again. We wouldn't have current-day Mexico if it wasn't for the Spaniards that settled there. We wouldn't have Arizona, Texas, like current-day Florida and stuff if it wasn't for the Spanish settlement there. But California played a huge, huge twist. And actually, a fun fact, too, is that – I was talking to my girlfriend about this not long ago today – is that there was a point in time where California was actually discovered even before the Mexicans discovered it. And I believe it was around Point Areas area where um, the king of Spain actually – he had someone that had discovered that, and it was like an island. And so the, there was a book. California's name is based on a book called California. And in this book, a guy describes um, a beautiful place where the mountains touch the ocean. He talks about a place where it's golden. It's rolling hills. It's hot. And it's almost like the devil's, uh, yeah, the devil's oven. And so that is really where the name California came from, was that. And so instantly it was named California based on this voyage. And this was before, you know, they technically came up from Mexico after already establishing Vaquera culture down in Western Mexico. I mean, it's interesting. It is really fascinating. A lot of how it all intertwines. The, the, everything about, you know, the, about the Spanish culture, about Mexican culture has oh, yeah. Mexican always been fascinating to me. Another fun fact is that their food has never changed. No, no. And it's always been the same. Sorry to disappoint anybody listening. Your Mexican restaurant is not selling authentic Mexican food. No. No. Not even close. Your local Mi Pablo or Mi Rancho or whatever, no. And I will even go to say that the the only way that it is authentic is if they actually came up from the border and opened up a restaurant. So, And that has happened a lot. In in my prior job, I spent a lot of time in the border country, West Texas, Arizona, New Mexico. The best Mexican food I have ever eaten, short of crossing the Rio Grande into Mexico, New Mexico ha- has been right on those border towns. And if you talk to those restaurant workers and those restaurant owners, they are driving through the port of entry every morning. Yep. 
to open their Absolutely. restaurant. So Absolutely. And I love everything Actually, about it. Actually, it's funny. One of the best Mexican food places that I have ever been to, and I'm pretty sure it's like 100% authentic, was actually in Dodge City, Kansas. I, I would believe it. I mean, it's just because, uh, like, we literally did that trail going from Albuquerque, New Mexico, to Dodge City, Kansas, doing it backwards from how Wyatt Earp did the trail. But in Dodge City, there is a little hole-in-the-wall type Mexican restaurant that sits right on that boardwalk. And, oh, my Lord, they had some of the best enchiladas I have ever had in my entire life. Oh, dude, dude. So... Uh, one of my favorite Mexican restaurants to eat at. Then, and, and I have a hard time even calling it a restaurant. It's a stand, but it's in Terlingua, Texas, just outside the Big Bend. And they hire their waitress primarily on the fact that she speaks English. She's yep. bilingual, and the the food to me is phenomenal. And I highly recommend if you're ever in the big bend area um, to go across the the Rio Grande to a small town in Mexico called Boquilla del Carmen. You wade the Rio Grande to get there, but there it, it is a legal port of entry. It's in a national park. So it's a legal port point of entry. So you can go across there, um, you know, get your small taste of, uh, of uh, Mexican culture for the day, eat your Mexican food, and then wade back across the Rio Grande at the end of the day and uh, show your passport in the uh, National Park Visitor Center to get back across. Oh, you know, and, and doing it that way is, I mean, it's actually really cool because technically in California, like down near San Diego, you can do that the exact same, like it's exact same. Or if you go down in uh, Arizona, do it the exact same way. You know, and I will admit some of them um, people from Mexico, they are some of the most friendliest people, you know, I have met, too. I mean, you think Southern hospitality is out, well, outrageous. I hate the stigma it's, that has been attached to Mexico. Yes. By and large, they are great dirty, people. But, I mean, but it's the, just like anywhere. You, you know, know the, every, every place has their... Uh, has their, oh, not their problems. Every place has their, um, oh, crap, what's the word? Um, well, I, I, I look at it like saying. this. You know, there there is a stigma attached to Mexico because of, like, the cartels. But here, here's how I look at it. I have spent a week in downtown Chicago. And the same stigma that is attached to cartels in Mexico is attached to gang violence in Chicago. I don't feel any, I don't feel any less safe in a border town in Mexico yep. than I do in Chicago. Yeah. In Chicago. That, that's how I look place. at it. You go to New York, you go to New York City. You go to Charlotte, you know, you go to, uh, Nashville. Even Nashville. Nashville. Yep. Nashville. I mean, a, a lot of California cities. It's all the same way, but there's, uh, I'm still trying to think of that one stupid word. 
basically the word that I'm trying to think of, and maybe you can help me with it, is when someone already gives you an image. Like that that's it. That that is the way that they imagine you instantly. What's it called, J Ryan? Knowing you. A preconceived there's, there's a notion. I was about to say, yeah, preconceived notion. Boom. Well, there's a certain word that shortens all of that down. But yes, I mean, a preconceived notion is a great way of uh, of wording it. And it's it's very unfortunate because each of these places, you know, they have great people, great cuisine, people that are more than friendly. But we just go in and, like, stick on a Barbie. Like, come on. They don't actually say that in Australia. <laughs> it's like, really, you guys? So... I don't know, but we're getting off topic. So, with I mean, history, yeah, go ahead. No, no, I was trying to look up for uh, uh, preconception, assumption, preconceived idea, prejudice, preassumption. Prejudice is one of them. There's um, one word though. It's descent. Oh, yeah. nope. God, it's like there's nothing in my brain at the moment. Um, the word literally means when categorizing someone. It's a word that basically means already categorizing someone. Um, stereotype. Oh. Stereotyping. Yeah, I mean, that's... Yeah, that fits. I mean, we, we already have stereotypes for these people. It's like, okay, you're Mexican, so you must do so-and-so. Okay, you're Listen, American, so you work, must do so-and-so. I work construction, and Mexicans are just as messed up as we are. Like, they tell the same jokes. They do the same things. They just do it yep. most of the time in a different language. Yep. Uh, well, guys, Listen. We have been at this thing for almost two hours now, so we, we gotta wrap it up. Yeah, we do. We have, you have a lot of editing you gotta do, don't you? Yeah. Well, J- Jade volunteered like right <laughs> off the bat. I was gonna take this one. Jade's like, oh, this is editing. I gotta do." And I'm like, okay. No, th- this uh, is this is your shift. You got I've got Feral Aaron. This ain't gonna be too bad. Hey, I, I will say this. I have thoroughly this enjoyed this one. I enjoy them all. This this Zach, one has been a good have time. You back, buddy. Absolutely. Well, if there's anything else you guys would like to ask me based on history or based on culture or lifestyle when it comes to the Western, I mean, definitely ask it. Um, reach out to me, whatever. I mean, I'm at this point, I haven't really been posting a whole lot. I've been doing all sorts of other stuff. I technically have the time to post, but I, I have I to because I rely it. on that. I have to because I rely on that income these days. So fair. It's kind I of wish it, you know. Well, I've been just waiting for one video to kind of blow up and mm. and get it to where I can start you, making an you're income. Gonna, you're gonna have that. You're gonna have that one video. Just gonna be a video that's just gonna come out the blue. It's gonna be one that you don't think is ever gonna blow up. And the next thing you know, it's got like I did. I woke up one morning, I had 1.4 million views, and I was just like, "Actually, oh, wow!" I had one video that was like that, and it had nothing to do with cowboying. 
I yeah. literally went to a Target. <laughs> yep. I, I had, had nothing my... to do with the horse history. <laughs> yep. I, I went to a Target. I had my little dog with me. And at this Target, it was a two-story Target. Kid you not. And there's a little little thing where you put this car on it, and it, like, roller coasters it up. Well, my dog was riding on it, and it got stuck. And then that was when that, that, was when that audio was going around. Well, I should have gone, or I was supposed to go here, but I ended up here. Like, it was that audio, and yeah. that's what blew up. Or like, I thought I was supposed to go to Target, like that well, audio. So, like, and I found out, too, like, none of my, my videos that flop on TikTok do well as reels on Instagram and Facebook. Because, really? Yeah, it's nuts. But even though do, my profile... Do you do Instagram, Facebook reels? I do Facebook reels. Uh, not I for just everything. did my first one yesterday. But here's what I found out. So Facebook and Instagram will not like immediately like throw my reels out there unless they get a bunch of my followers like them because apparently I've been flagged and they won't <laughs> recommend my profile for two little things I might have said. One was I would rather root for the Taliban than the University of Florida. And they, they, fl- they, f- they flagged me for terroristic activity. Uh, and the other was, when the, que- the other was, the other was, when the queen died, I sat in solidarity with my Irish brethren, and it was a guy in a ski mask. It, it went over. You didn't like learn the first pick. time. Did not learn in the first, did not learn the first time. Failed <laughs> so the second time, so I'm flagged for a little while until I'm, that's why I'm on a no fly list. I swear it. I, I just started my Facebook reels yesterday it, and I'm just kind of, it, it, it's hard. I'm being, pulling. It, it's hard being it, a libertarian boy these days. Like it just doesn't. Oh, it really is. And I'm actually glad oh, I'm not dude. the only libertarian. I mean, I'm, I can't. I'm you, not you are sure sitting in the company liberal. of two more right now. You're, you're sitting in the company of libertarian. You're sitting in the company of two other guys that believe in no step on snick. I mean, yep. <laughs> no crossum possum, my guy. I think that's a big part of the reason Jay Ryan and I get along so well. Yeah, it's just we're just like, eh. like I mean, everybody be talking I'm about. Okay what do you think about government? this? I'm okay you with some you, government, my boy. but yeah. it's more we the people. I mean, there is a reason. That's in the very first sentence of the Constitution. We, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, and provide for the common defense. It's like horse slaughter. And I know I'm opening up a can of worms on this one, but it's like horse slaughter. And I'm like, if you are okay. anti, if you are anti-slaughter, then don't send horses to slaughter. End so, the subject. You know what? This is a huge con. I mean, you guys helped me come up with three new controversies tonight. Literally, you, three you of got, them. And you my got last ten, one, you got ten us. minutes. You got ten just minutes. Tag us. So, the last controversial topic I'm going to come up with for the night, I'm going to leave it on this, is should we have horse slaughter facilities in the United States? I'm going my first. Say I is just, yes. mm, I'm saying my, yes. I'll, I'll go second. Absolutely yes, and the reason being why is because the worst part of the whole process is the trip to another country. You open it up yep. here, you have regional facilities where horse meat can be processed. doesn't matter if it's sold in the U.S. or not sold abroad. If you don't want to eat horse mm-hmm. meat, don't eat horse meat. Guess what this does? All the, all Burger the, King. 
Well, yeah, but I mean, he, here's what this does. Everyone, the rescues are up to their ears and unwanted horses. And most of these horses are neurotic. They have some sort of uh, disease, either be it yep. um, something they've caught or either it be something that was genetic. And you know what? There's nothing we can do for them horses other than those horses are now sitting and eating up resources that other horses that could easily be rehomed need. Exactly. So I would much rather see well, one go and live a useful death well, than have a meaningless life. Well, think about this, too. You know, you there. it's just like anyone. There's some people that, I mean, you pray they don't, they, they change their life around. You pray that they don't end up in prison, but yet they are some way, shape, or form bound to end up in prison. Horses are the exact same way. You know, you have those horses where they are the sweetest horses in the world, you know, on the ground, in the saddle, you can ride them, there's no issues. But then you have those horses where it doesn't matter how many years you've been riding it, it will always be a prick, it will always tuck its butt out underneath you and try and scorpion you off. I mean, it's just how it is, and so there's some horses, and I hate to say it, but there are some horses that I think should be turned into glue, but that's not even my reason for wanting to have a slaughterhouse in America. The reason is because we see all of these different places across the border we see all we hear about all these um places that just they abuse the animal when doing it i'm not saying every farm or ranch or stable operation is perfect actually that place in uh Sevierville, tennessee it, it point blank abused horses that's the reason why i left i was hired for a change he didn't want to change it horses had Sores beyond sores. I mean, they were thin. They didn't have their teeth floated. They're even though they're being fed beet pulp and I heard stuff, about that spit place. out. Yup, it's called JL Ranch. JL. Yeah. And I was actually hired on for trying to turn it around for a better opportunity. And Wyatt Bunch, he just went in and said nope. And I was supposed to have a contract signed that was supposed to last for five years, give it five years to change it around. He never once wanted to sign the contract. So finally I said, I'm done. I'm not doing this. I'm not going to be a part of it. You know, horses were living knee deep into mud. And it's not these horses' fault. This is another reason why I went back earlier and said, you know, maybe most people should start out with the mule because a mule will knock them on their ass flat. Well, just like, you know, there were some horses there that, they didn't deserve that, but some of them it's like, well, I would rather you just go to a slaughterhouse and stand in, you know, four feet in mud every single day. Even if they're horrible horses, they still don't deserve it. But at least we can regulate what it is that we are doing with that said horse versus yeah. just assuming. Yeah, it's just, you know, it's, again, like I said, and I think everybody. Very knows. controversial. No, it is, but it isn't. But I'll be honest with you. The vast majority of actual horsemen are in full agreement. People who actually love horses and understand horses are in agreement. It's just you have a handful of people whose brain are not attached to their heart. And oh, yeah. Listen, and it's just like people who are all about let Mustangs run wild and free and this, that, and the other. And I'm like, but here's the thing that ranges they need management. them. They have to have management because if one elk – one elk dies because there was not enough forage on range. Or a rabbit Mustangs. or a squirrel. That's a problem. Because we're in. Oh, yeah. I, know, I know a lot of people are like, well, you know, feral, wild, it doesn't really matter. 
and and to an extent, it doesn't matter what we call them. The fact is that they are there, but they do require management. But to an extent, it does kind of matter. And I don't mean to step on like Aaron's toes or anybody like that, because Aaron is in the business of managing feral horses. But you know, we we have to understand that these are not wild animals. These are feral animals. These were animals that were introduced into an ecosystem that was already established, and now they are now competing with other things in that ecosystem. Yep. And, and it even our native species their require management. Our native well, species 100% require management because we are shitty oh, they do. as human beings. And if they didn't have exactly. management, we would hunt them to extinction because we are the worst thing that ever happened to this planet. Oh, more mm-hmm. than. And there's two things I would like to touch upon here before I get off. The first thing is 100% agree with you. You know, horses that were introduced to the West, the, the Western Mustang, you know, it wasn't necessarily their choice, but yet it's now to a point of, okay, we need to get the management more under control. I mean, they're there. It's just how it's been. You know, someone died in the Civil War. Where did the Mustang go? Find other, or where did that horse go? Find other horses, you know, run free, run wild till they create a band. Um, the miners down, you know, like Grand Canyon. I mean, it was a huge thing taking all those donkeys out of the Grand Canyon, but you see those all yeah. over the U.S. Situations like that: someone yeah. dies, a horse runs off. I'm you know, overbreeding, just I'm dropping be, a horse off just because. I'm going to be honest with you about mustangs. Here's the deal with mustangs: is everybody wants to point fingers at the BLM, but nobody remembers because most most of those people are, are dead or they're older and they don't think about it. Is the reason that the reason that mustang herds are so plentiful these days is because of the USDA and the oh, US, it's more than and the USDA taking US Army remount horses and turning them out on range. There's one there's a reason why when you run the DNA of the majority of Mustangs and it shows up things like Thoroughbred and Cleveland Bay and Morgan and shit American Cream Graft and shit like that. It's because mm-hmm. it, they were US Army remount horses that were turned out. If you think you're going to adopt a Mustang and you're getting something that Ponce de Leon rode around you're crazy. <laughs> oh, Cortez. Well, but I mean, at the same time, too, it really depends on where you get that Mustang. There are what isolated, there like are Devil, isolated herds. Devil's but, Garden, Oregon is a great place to get a good Mustang. Well, and that there's much another, I do know. No, I, I'm not saying some of these, oh, well, I mean, they're all mutts, but I'm not saying that some of these other horses aren't great horses. I, give me one that's got more sport horse in it. Oh, yeah. But I mean, but the the idea that you're getting something that's very close to a colonial Spanish horse is crazy. It, it's very I mean, isolated herds that you're getting that. The only way that you can really get like a Spanish colonial horse is again if you get like an island horse, a Chicatigs, or if you actually get a legit La Perla from like out of Mexico, or, 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 or if you go to Namibia. Call, yeah, call, call us. I mean, we can hook you up because we are marsh tacky people. And there, there's a good example. Now, we also were talking a little bit, and this will be the last thing before I get off. We're talking a little bit about um, overpopulation, and it's interesting. You know, what most people don't realize is if you take one creature and put it on an island for so long, what's going to end up happening? That one where you take two creatures, you put them on an island for so long, they're going to reproduce. Well, there's enough vegetation so far to manage the three horses, well, what happens when they go in and breed again and again and again? Sooner or later, Man. there goes all that vegetation. Man, let me introduce you to something called the Cumberland Island horse, who has like a, a – the full attrition rate mm-hmm. is like 7 and 10 
they no they no longer get like over like thirteen hands and they all die before they're fifteen. Well, that is that's actually the exact problem that we are facing in the eastern section of California because California also has wild mustangs, and over there they don't have the nutrition. They don't get the nutrition because of over overpopulation because California is one of those states where the government basically is like they'll get their hands on just about anything, even if they don't know what it is they're talking about. My county, I can go and sell eggs without a permit. One county over, it requires a permit to go sell eggs. You know, it's just how it is. And so they like to try their best to stick their hand in your pocket and control everything, which I wish they would do a better control system for these California Mustangs to revise and, re, you know, rejuvenate the herd and make them, make them a great, great horse again. Because otherwise, so, most of the, the photos that you see of skinny Mustangs, they really do come from California. So all, two examples, two examples that I love to cite. Number one is our horse, the Marsh Tacky. They rounded them all up. <laughs> They rounded every one of them up. They're, they were all accounted for. Um, you know, and, and the reason for that, the majority of them were in places like Hilton Head Island, which are now heavily developed, and developers did not like seeing horses eating their golf greens up. So they were, you know, they were rounded up. The other example, you get up further north into Virginia, the Chincoteaks. Yeah. You know, the, those are horses that are heavily manage they're rounded up annually excess horses are brought to the mainland auctioned off sold to maintain a proper number none of these mustang people have any issue with those goings ons but when you start talking about these mustangs and these horses out west they start to throw a fit and that's you because know. they grew up in a place where it's, oh, let's go, let's go take the weekend and go see these wild horses. Like it's a natural These majestic thing. horses. But it, it's funny too, because you know, there's been a thing of reintroduce grizzlies back to California and they want to reintroduce them into Yosemite. Well, a bunch of us, you know, we we're talking would be like, we would love to see the day that they would actually reintroduce grizzlies because a lot of ranchers, I kid you not, will go in, find those grizzlies and go drop them off in downtown San Francisco. That, I, I yeah. mean, I'd pay, yeah. I'd pay money to see that. <laughs> not even going to lie. Well, Zach, it has been well, an absolute pleasure. Yes, thank you guys. I really do appreciate you having me on. Um, and I can't wait for the next one. We'll do it again. Jade, Jade had fun. I haven't seen Jade have this much fun on a podcast in a while. I've been, I've well, been more I am out down and out for a long while, you guys. So I'm going to try to slip well, away and do some fishing with Jade this weekend. <laughs> <laughs>